In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good afternoon. It's 5.30 p.m. drive time. My name is Julian Gibb, and you are listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. So on this show, uh, I and uh, Bob Moffat from the Harvest Foundation, we, we, we discuss with uh, fellow friends and uh, business leaders and also people who head up 501c3s about how they are serving as Jesus' hands and feet in the community around them. And today we're blessed to have my new friend, uh, John. So, John, welcome to the show. Good afternoon and welcome to you, all uh, the visitors. Good to be with you as well, the listeners. And so, John, you are in the mighty South Africa. It's right down in Cape Town, which is the very tip of Africa. Uh, you can't really go further south than uh, where we live. Well, well, wonderful. Well, wonderful. So you've got a, an Englishman in America and a, and a South African in Cape Town. And uh, so, 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 John, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Right. Um, I spent 30 years in full-time pastoral ministry and established a church in the area called King of Kings. And during the course of that time, God started to move my heart for the poor and the needy. And so uh, we developed an outreach to what we call a township or a shanty town, uh, quite close, about a mile as the crow flies from our church building. And um, we called that ministry Living Hope after Jesus, our living hope. And um, I founded that ministry in the year 2000. And uh, 15 years later, preached myself into missions. Hmm. And so left the senior pastor at the church and moved full time across into doing missions, uh, into serving at Living Hope. And today, Living Hope is about 230 full-time staff, wow. and I'm the executive director of that. And we're all about bringing the hope of Jesus and breaking the despair of poverty and disease. And so our tagline is bringing hope, breaking despair. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. You know, but how, how, uh, how did this start? I remember, uh, if memory serves me well, you were saying how you were serving at uh, a church and then you, you, you and your congregants noticed in this plot of land there was a couple of hundred people homeless living rough on, on the land. And so how, how, how did you move from, uh, I mean, that, that's impressive in itself, taking care of, of a couple of hundred people, you know, I mean, I mean that, that's impressive. But how did how did you first of all why why did you uh, reach out to these people? I mean, weren't they squatting? Weren't they there illegally? So, and um, you know, God burdened my heart. That was back in 1987 when I came and really effectively restarted a church that had gone down to about 10 or 15 people, and um, God burdened me to reach these folk in evangelism. Apartheid was very strong. And in those days, whites weren't allowed in black areas. But I really felt 
you know, how could I face God on Judgment Day and say, well, there were people sort of half a mile from our church building that we didn't bother to reach because, you know, technically at that stage in 87, whites were not meant to go into black areas. So we started off by showing the Jesus film. A whole lot of people came to know Christ as Savior and planted a church there. And then in 2000, the local hospital, a government hospital, called uh, myself and three other pastors and said, help, we've got a huge problem in this area, which is now a more formalized township. Uh, HIV and AIDS is at 44%. Now, at that stage, there were about 20,000 people living in that area. And I felt, again, Lord, how can I face you on Judgment Day if five to 10,000 people do die in the next five to ten years hmm. and uh, god says to me on judgment day so john um tell me what did you do about the really poor and the needy and those who hadn't heard the gospel a, a half a mile from your church and i said well lord we had wonderful praise and worship parties on sunday um didn't you like that i mean i think i remember show, you showing up a few times on the praise and worship wasn't that good enough and jesus would say away from no me. i was yeah. hungry and you fed me. Yeah. Right, John, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. And I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. And I was sick and you didn't care for me. And so when this lady told me 44%, I thought I've got to do something. Interestingly enough, Julian, two years later, we were doing all the HIV and AIDS testing as a local church in the area. And we found the stat was about 15, 16% positive, not 44%. And I try to trace it back to say, mm. where did this number come from? 44%. Yeah. yeah. And nobody could tell. Me. Mm. In reality, it was maybe a case of broken telephone or people's imagination or gross exaggeration. But God used a lie to build a ministry. It became the foundation uh, for the ministry, and today we serve over 100,000 people annually whose names and addresses we owe. We're able to bring them the hope of Jesus and break the despair of poverty and disease over their lives, and it has just been a wonderful journey. And I've learned a great spiritual lesson. Uh, Romans 8.28 talks about God works all things together for good. And uh, Joseph, when his brothers had a, thrown him into a pit, and years later, when he saw them, he said, you intended it for evil, but God mm. intended it for good. This ministry was built on an incorrect statistic. And I'm absolutely convinced God engineered it to kick me, to say, you're a local <laughs> pastor. Do something about the problem in the area. And with that, Living Hope was born. Oh, man. And uh, so I don't know how many ministries are, are built on the lie, but God has brought such wonderful things out of that. And we cover five major areas. We actually have 51 programs of outreach, uh, five major areas. Healthcare, we have over 100 staff in that. I'll come back to that in a moment. Substance abuse rehab. Yeah. Second care, life skills for children and adults. Okay. Family strengthening for broken families or families oh, in man. trouble. And the fifth area is that of farmer training. Unemployment and poverty is rife here in the area. And tra training farmers is what we need to put on the land. 
And so those are the five areas. Now, under healthcare, we run a 22-bed hospital. And then we say nobody pays a cent for any of our services. They are done in the name of Jesus. And that is a subacute facility uh, doing stroke recovery, uh, post-operative rehab, and palliative care. And so people can die with dignity uh, in um, the co- surrounded by Christian compassion and mm-hmm. care. We do loads of primary health care. Um, so we do all the HIV and AIDS work in the area. We do all the TB work. We also do all the STI work. Now, what we have done as a local church is we have put our staff in government facilities and in city-run facilities, and we pay them to work there. And that is how we reach so, so many people. Recently, we've just put um, an options pregnancy council, a counselor, into the local hospital where they can get free abortions. And every one of the people, before they're going to get an abortion, they come to our counsellor, and we're able to persuade some girls, women, to uh, go full term with their baby, and we will arrange adoption for their baby. And so we do so many healthcare issues, support groups, and during COVID, we have done all the COVID-19 work in this area. We've done the testing, and we've done the... um, screening and all the medication distribution as well and remember this is one local church of about 350 to 400 people who reach out to over a hundred thousand people a year so stop stop right there because (laughs) because sorry to be rude uh my little brain is hurting uh so so but that was my question i want to hear all of the the other things you do that's coming but my little brain can only hold so much at one point in time. And so what that was my question is, you were a 15-member congregation at the start, is that correct? And so how on earth do 15 people reach out to 300 homeless people, people that you're not meant to be hanging out with because of apartheid, and provide them with shelter, and now you're providing with healthcare for AIDS, COVID choices. I mean, how, how are you, how are you TB, you know, and this is just one of the things you do. We'll come on to the rest in a minute. How, how do 15 people do this? I mean, I know you haven't got 15 now, but how, how, how did this happen? You know, it's a miracle story and that's all I can say. And God gets the glory. We did not have in the year 1999, a single medical person in the church of about 350 people, not one doctor. We had a physical therapist, but that was it. And um, one Sunday, this couple came in and I met them and they said, we just moved into the area. And he was a retired um, statewide Uh, director of health for the area, sort of a mini Dr. Fauci type of guy. And she was a professor of community nursing. And I said, wow, you know, God loves you and we have a wonderful plan for your lives now that you've retired. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually think to anyone who's retired, hey, let me just say to you, God has a great plan for you to serve him. And don't think of retirement as a time to rest. It's a time to serve God with the talents that he's given you with the skills he's given you. 
with the experience he's given you. And I want to encourage retired people to get out there and start to serve the Lord in a wonderful way in their local churches or through some Christian nonprofit in the area. It can be the most fulfilling time of your life as you give back. And this is what this couple, Harold and Barbara, did. And they had all the medical knowledge. I was just a dumb pastor. Uh, who, what do I know about medical care? What do I know about AIDS? I thought AIDS stood for abstinence is definitely safe. Oh. And then I discovered it's acquired immunity deficiency syndrome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so we started to just pull a team together, and God just added to the team. Mm. Six months later, a professor of HIV and AIDS joined the church. He's now a professor of HIV infectious disease at, at Harvard University. But he was a local professor, and he just came with all his knowledge and contacts, and God just kept opening doors. And, and you know what I have found? When a church or an individual moves out on God's agenda of caring for the poor and the needy, God takes care. Hmm. Now, we must never abandon evangelism. We are not social workers or healthcare workers. We are people reaching people for Christ. But we use the tools of social work, of education, of healthcare, of training, of life skills, of substance abuse recovery, of healthcare to come and reach the people. And when we, as we minister to them, we show them Jesus because Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. Mm. So, so hold that for a second. You're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and today we're blessed to have John Thomas. Now, John started with uh, 15 people from his church uh, in an area of apartheid where he was not to be a, to associate with people, uh, uh, black, black people. So um, he uh, ripped that up, and he went and... Uh, provided shelter for these 300 people who were squatting on the land, didn't shoo them off, provided shelter for them. And then this grew into providing uh, AIDS treatment. Uh, We're going to find out a whole host of other things that he has been doing. And so my question to him was, uh, how did you do this? You know, initially with 15 people, yes, now with 350, but now to be providing for so many people this quality of care, how on earth can you do it? And his response to me was, we didn't. God did. God did it through us. Don't let me put words into your mouth, John. Correct me where I go wrong. But God did it through them. So, John, it was what you brought to it was obedience. Is that what you brought to the table? And just being moved with the heart of God. You know, I was a pastor for about 20 years before I understood that God didn't just want me to help save souls. He wanted me to help save people, people in all their needs. Uh, their their body, their emotions, their brokenness, their messed up marriage. Whereas I just thought I must just do evangelism and, you know, that's my job done. I misunderstood that we as a church are to reach the whole person and show the whole person to Jesus. And so that was a big transition because I'd been brought up just get them to raise hands and say, I see that hand, brother, you may put it down and I've done my job until I I started to read the Bible and see what a heart God has for the poor and the needy. And that every local church should be involved in evangelism and 
in reaching the poor and the needy. And as we moved out to care for the poor and the needy, God just exploded things open and opened doors that I did not believe possible and and brought funding in and the right people. And so as you move on to God's agenda to reach people for Christ using uh, to the poor and the needy, man, you get so proud of God. God just comes through <laughs> over and over and over again. Because I'm, I'm looking on your website and the number of things that you provide, um, and uh, I'm thinking, you know, you are one man. And so, you know, I, I mean, and yet you're, you're doing all these things. God is doing all these things through you, granted. But still, it involves your brain. It involves your physical energy. And uh, you're doing this this daunting task and yet you have a smile on your face why aren't you burnt out and crying again the lord gives strength uh, there are days when you do pull your hair out as we do in any and every job but uh, it is just so wonderful to see god at work and the rewards of seeing people come to christ i mean last week i know of 22 of our patients who gave their lives to the lord 12 of them in substance abuse recovery 10 of them through our health care programs. Now, I, I, I will almost say to you, the church's reach is far bigger than just the body of people who come together on a Sunday. It, when you move out into God's agenda and start to understand his heart for missions, the poor and the needy, God shows up and people come to know Christ. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to see God at work, which keeps me going. Because, uh, you know, every day there's some miracle of some sort. And then you say, God, it's just amazing. So um, let me tell you a bit more about some of the other programs. We have a substance yeah. abuse recovery program, which is an outpatient program. Okay. Which is, in other words, people come from eight to four uh, every day. And um, alcohol and drugs. That program. And, or, drugs yeah. and alcohol. Okay. And that program is based on Celebrate Recovery, which comes out of uh, Rick Warren's church, Saddleback. They designed this program. It's not the sort of 10 steps or 12 steps program. It's a great biblical program. And I know many churches in the U.S. use it to help people work through their addictions. And we use it, slightly adapted. But um, we have seen many men and women delivered from the shackles of alcohol and drug abuse. But here's something, Julian. Last year, we started early intervention drug rehab, mm. for eight to ten year old boys. Eight to eight. ten. Because their fathers are addicts or gangsters and they'd started to experiment with drugs. And so here we are, even reaching children who are substance abuse users and some of whom are addicted. What opportunities? So that's the, we've got all the healthcare, we've got the substance abuse, then we do life skills for children. We run what uh, you would call vacation Bible clubs in the holidays, but we also run after school clubs uh, Mondays to Thursdays. Now, COVID has messed it up a bit, but um, we still meet with several hundred children every day in different areas around the place and um, have a Bible story, crush clubs, uh, crafts, sing some songs, and then try and seek to give them a good life skill. So, you know, life is full of choices. If you make a good choice, 
there'll be a good consequence if you make a bad choice, there'll be a bad consequence. And, and so we instill biblical values. God made you. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your body. You do not have to surrender it and sex to somebody else. Mm. And nobody has the right to touch your body in places that make you feel uncomfortable. And we instill Amen. those values and biblical principles into children's lives. Amen. Because we believe it is better to build a whole child than mend a broken man. Huh. And um, so we'd rather we seek to invest in the lives of children. And We'd love to have churches come with their teams and work with us. And then you can have a look at our website, which yeah. is livinghope.co.za. Livinghope.co.za. And take a look at that. And there's all sorts of links there. And I'll give the address again in five minutes' time when we're about to close. And do go ahead you know um but give us give it obviously not names or anything but give, give us some stories you know how some examples of uh in real life of how how people's lives have been changed all right i'll, I'll close with this story and then give the website again yeah there was a young lady um and she our, our chaplain was called to the local hospital to a 14 year old mother and this girl's name was Tomeka. The video story is on our video links okay. on our website, livinghope.co.za. And our, our chaplain walked into the maternity ward and was absolutely startled to see the name of this baby in the local language, No Hope, above Ooh. the baby's crib. Ooh. She said, why did you name your baby No Hope? She said, because... My mother died with AIDS. I moved in with my auntie. She died of AIDS. I moved in with some kind people down the street. And the 14, the 15-year-old boy said, girl, you will pay to stay here. Your way you pay is to give me sex. Mm. She said, soon I discovered I was pregnant and HIV positive. She said, I've got AIDS. And I looked at my baby in an extremely rare condition. My baby came out with skin sores, indicating an advanced stage of AIDS. You want to know why? I called my baby, no hope. I have no hope. No one to go to tomorrow when they discharge me. No hope. My baby's got AIDS. I've got AIDS. Well, our chaplain called me. We uh, arranged for her to get into her family in our church. And soon she joined one of our support groups. And she came to know Jesus as her savior. Another three months went by and she came in one day and said, somebody please take me to home affairs. That's where we register our births and marriages and deaths. They said, why to me? She said, I want to change my baby's name. They said, what to? She said, to the Lord is my hope. Oh. And uh, I'm giving the English name Praise for it. Praise God. And she best tells us the story. We seek to take people who have no hope, introduce them to Jesus, the living hope so that they can say, the Lord is my hope. Amen. And I would love to encourage you to consider coming, volunteering, bringing a team. Yeah. Look at our website, www.livinghope.co.za. <laughs> so, I mean, well, what, what we might have to do, John, is some of the time have you back because, um, you know, it, it, it's, I've got all these notes and I don't want to waste them. So <laughs> we've only gone halfway through your story. And I just want to hear more of the real life examples of how God sure. has been operating through you 
and your church in order to do something which is no nothing short of miraculous. Um, and so um, I'm going to ask you back to do um, uh, so, so we can talk talk a bit more. Uh, but until then, in 30 seconds, tell me, someone's listening and they're saying, well, this John is supernatural. Supernatural things are happening through him. Uh, I haven't got that ability or gift. Uh, what would you say to them in, in 20 seconds? God has a plan for your life. God has given you skills. God has given you abilities. And God can use what he has put in your hand. What did he say to Moses? What is in your hand, Moses? A, st- a stick. And God used the stick. God used the donkey to talk. God can use you, sir, you, ma'am. Just give him not your abilities, but your availability and see what God does. Well, there you go, my friends. We'll be listening to John again. You've been listening to the kingdom and its stories. Whatever you've been called to do, start to do it. God bless you. Bye-bye. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on the Kingdom and its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.